welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm Laurel Henning, one of the senior correspondents at MLEX, and I'm speaking to you from our offices in Sydney, Australia. This week, company names familiar to us all, Instagram, Facebook, Apple, have drawn criticism from Australia's policymakers and regulators. First, Australian Competition and Consumer Commission Chairman Rod Sims took aim at Facebook's 2015 assurances that to merge information contained on its network with data owned by then-takeover target WhatsApp would have been technically impossible. The fault also lies with regulators, Sims said, who need to be more sceptical of what tech companies suggest might be impossible when it comes to their data control. The battle between Australia and US technology companies continued from there, this time coming from the US, when smartphone maker Apple said in a submission to a parliamentary committee examining planned changes to laws governing encrypted communications that the overhaul is dangerously ambiguous. On top of all this, last week, Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton accused US tech companies of dodging tax, misusing personal data and cozying up to dictators. Here to talk us through these latest developments in what is becoming quite a bitter conflict between Australian regulators and US tech giants, James Panicki, MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor, joins me now from Melbourne. Hi, James. Hello, Laurel. So let's take a few steps back. Tell me something about the Australian government's planned encryption bill. What does it set out to achieve? Okay, now the official title is the Telecommunications and Other Legislation Amendment Assistance and Access Bill, uh, and it's uh, been in the works for quite some time now. It boils down to granting Australian law enforcement agencies uh, the right to demand that uh, tech companies provide a a de-encrypted, or or in fact decrypted, as we say in English, version of uh, intercepted messages. The logic of this is uh, pretty clear. Once upon a time, spy agencies or uh, police forces were able to intercept phone conversations without too many problems, presumably still within certain legal uh, parameters, but there were no technical restrictions for that to occur. Encryption has obviously changed all of that. Um, For example, if you were to send a message via WhatsApp, uh, which is the um, the messaging application acquired by Facebook in 2014, as you mentioned earlier, uh, that intercepted message would be uh, scrambled and largely unintelligible. So for a law enforcement agency to uh, make sense of it, it would need uh, the cooperation of WhatsApp or Facebook, um, so that the, it would need the cooperation of the companies themselves. Another example, um, if you uh, were, for example, arrested, uh, and I mean, not, not you personally, <laughs> Laurel, but not. if one, what, you know, the most law-abiding person I know, but if one <laughs> were arrested and the police needed to gain access to that person's phone, they'd need uh, someone to bypass the code that gets you into the phone itself that opens up that phone. So unless you're Kanye West and your password is, you know, six times zero, um, as we discovered last week, um, it, you would really need uh, Apple, in the case of an iPhone, you'd really need uh, Apple to unlock that phone. So Australia's proposed encryption laws um, would provide the legal framework for uh, law enforcement agencies to do all of these things. And it's the, the way they, they've presented it is uh, purely as a, a legal response to the technical challenge posed by encryption. Uh, and therefore, it is not in theory uh, supposed to be a power grab on the part of law enforcement agencies, but I suppose that is where the uh, that's where the debate begins. 
And the Australian government's been quite specific, actually, on what it's it's saying on that front. Um, it's stated very clearly the need to provide law enforcement agencies such as the, the main spying agency here, the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, or ASIO, the legal authority to request that cooperation. Yeah, that, that, that's right. In recent, recent weeks, there have been two uh, significant uh, public interventions articulating that argument. The first was from the head of uh, that agency, ASIO, Um, Duncan Lewis, who in fact I met um, in Brussels a few years ago when he was Australia's ambassador to the EU and to NATO, which feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, Lewis wrote um, an opinion piece in a a national newspaper saying that the use of encryption by criminals, terrorists, spies and hackers has left the nation's intelligence agencies' hands tied. Uh, And he said that the proposed laws wouldn't uh, expand ASIO's uh, surveillance powers. It would simply deal with the uh, technological challenge of encryption, so the challenge that, uh, that, that I've just mentioned. The second major development was a speech in Canberra by Peter Dutton, who, as Minister for Home Affairs, deals with all security-related stuff. And he, um, I mean, he, he lashed out uh, at what he uh, referred to as, uh, as, as you mentioned before, as tax-dodging, privacy flouting multi-billion dollar Silicon Valley tech companies. I mean, it was it was an extraordinary speech. He did not hold back. He certainly didn't. Um, I mean, for the benefit of non-Australian listeners, we should say that Dutton is a, a sort of a tough-talking former policeman from the, uh, the, the northeastern state of Queensland. This is his style. And it should be said, and as you now know, it's, it's very much the style of pol- political rhetoric in Australia. You get a bit aggressive um, but uh, the, the, the funny thing is that he didn't acknowledge any of the tech companies' concerns over the new laws. I mean, these are, you know, um, honestly held privacy concerns that the tech companies have. He simply hit them with a barrage of, of insults about their privacy failings, you know, their questionable tax minimization strategies, uh, their willingness to reach compromises with, with dictators. And all of these points, you know, don't get me wrong, this, this might all be fair criticism, but in no way did they relate to the specific criticisms of the uh, of the encryption laws that are uh, that are before Parliament at the moment. Sure, so there was a real disconnect there, and Dutton's outburst um, it prompted the question about why he was lashing out at the tech companies. I think, given what you've just said there, and that question is now being answered, given that the submissions to the parliamentary committee reviewing the bill have been published. Um, so you've identified James two submissions in particular, uh, that of Apple and also U.S. tech company Cisco. Both submissions identify some real concerns. Yes, that's right. In fact, uh, probably too many concerns to, to list in this podcast. In fact, I'd encourage people to go and read the, the, the Apple submission because it's, it's, uh, it makes for fascinating reading. Both companies are saying that uh, any attempt to weaken encryption on the part of the Australian government, in fact, diminishes uh, the security of communication. So rather than being more secure, a, a more secure society that we're aiming for, it would have the opposite effect. Apple described the bill as dangerously ambiguous, as you said, uh, and one that introduces changes that should be as alarming to every Australian as they are to us. So, um, Laurel, yes, a very forceful position there. And then just digging down a little bit deeper into exactly why Dutton got, you know, lashed out to quite the the degree that he did. Um, From your reporting, it looks like what could have angered the minister is is the suggestion on the part of both Apple and Cisco that the wording of the bill could allow for the creation of what we've called so-called backdoors. Let's explain that a little bit more. 
Okay, look, a backdoor in this context refers to an ongoing point of entry for authority. So, for example, um, providing uh, Australian uh, spies or police forces with uh, software or the technical means to decrypt uh, or, or gain access to suspects' correspondence without having to put in a request every time to the tech companies. Now, uh, this, this prospect absolutely freaks out the tech companies because if you have access to decryption software for one person's communications, you have it for everyone, say for everyone using WhatsApp, you could just gain uh, uh, instant access to that kind of communication and that uh, brings with it uh, several uh, several problems, many problems in fact, and that's, that's uh, according to the tech companies, really a slippery slope. Now, uh, apparently the tech companies were consulted extensively in the drafting uh, of this bill, uh, and we don't know to what extent because unlike many Western countries, Australia has no um, transparency or lobbying rules, so you never get to find out who was consulted in the drafting of legislation, something which I find absolutely extraordinary, but that's <laughs> that's an issue for... <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously close to your, your previous life as a, as a reporter on lobbying. Well, that's right. Um, I mean, compared to... I mean, you can talk about EU dysfunctionality until the cows come home, but uh, the EU seems to be far more transparent with these things than, uh, than, than other jurisdictions, including Australia. But look, mm. one thing that we do know is that the tech companies had said uh, that the building of backdoors would be extremely dangerous in terms of protecting users' privacies. Um, and uh, and I suppose that the government thought it was offering a major concession to the tech companies by agreeing that it wouldn't do this, that they said, look, there will be no uh, backdoors and that's not part of this legislative uh, proposal. Uh, and and uh, I, I mean, every single piece of literature from the government on this, every single public statement refers to the fact that there wouldn't be any backdoors under the proposed legislation. But the Apple submission says that the wording is now uh, so vague that the bill could, in fact, allow for backdoors in all but name. Uh, Cisco's submission goes even further. It says that the proposed legislation would absolutely allow for a backdoor under a, a commonly accepted but slightly broader definition of, of a backdoor. So the companies are essentially casting doubt on the government's central claim and that central claim is that the bill won't allow for backdoors. And it is understandable, I'm just thinking, why um, these tech companies are looking for these very clear assurances, um, not ambiguous in any way, when you think of the promise that they're making to their users when, you know, a lot of people use these services on the promise that they are encrypted. Well, absolutely. And I mean, uh, that is that is where the difficulty lies. A lot of these companies are also dealing with um, with with government departments and providing software solution, I mean Cisco in particular, it, it already deals with the Australian uh, government and part of its pitch to the Australian government mm-hmm. is that it is super secure, that its encryption is rock solid and it can't be compromised. And so I think uh, by allowing any level of compromise on, on that level of security, I think they, they might end up running into trouble. So Apple um, says that the bill would allow authorities to compel providers to install or test software or equipment, facilitate access to customer equipment, this list is quite long, so bear with me, turn over source code, remove forms of electronic protection, modify characteristics of a service, or substitute a service. Yes, etc., etc. I mean, it, it, this is Apple's argument. It, it just this this legislation goes too far, um, and uh, rightly or wrongly, I think the government is feeling betrayed by this submission because it's claiming that 
that uh, in fact it gave the tech companies everything that they wanted. So a guarantee of no backdoor access was everything that the government, uh, everything that the companies wanted. Uh, Apple's submission also reveals that over the past five years, it had processed more than twenty-six thousand requests from Australian law enforcement agencies for information relating to uh, investigations. Uh, and so they had done this on a kind of an ad hoc basis, but they're, they're using this, uh, this fact, the fact that it had processed 26,000 requests by, uh, by the Australians to say, look, the system as it is with this kind of ad hoc approach, this case-by-case approach, it was working just fine. So why, why do you need to, to change uh, the, the system that we already had in place? Mm. And then thinking about other concerns raised by these submissions, um, they also look at the independence of the planned oversight, as well as what we what are known as um, the extraterritorial dimensions of the law. Those are other concerns raised here. Yeah, look, look, very briefly, the Australian government's proposal would allow for a judicial review of any demand for information from uh, one of the tech companies. So, um, um, in, in other words, a judge could step in if the tech companies, after a while, felt that they were being asked to do something that they didn't feel comfortable with. But the tech companies say that this is inadequate, and what would, in fact, be preferable would be something like the, uh, the UK's Investigatory Powers Act, which allows for judicial review before notice is served on providers rather than after. So a judge gets uh, gets to step in at the beginning of the process rather than at the end of the process. Um, on the extraterritoriality side of things, both Apple and Cisco appear to be very, very uh, concerned. Uh, it's true that this bill does offer some room to move on this front and that the proposed laws would take into account uh, that the release of personal communications in Australia could create some legal problems for companies in other jurisdictions. But the the, the tech companies are saying that these protections, in fact, don't go far enough. For example, a a company providing Australian agencies with personal information on an EU citizen, for example, could fall fall foul of the EU's GDPR, the privacy laws. Mm. Or a company providing information using data stored in the US, for example, could face civil and criminal prosecution there. So uh, the bill does allow for some level of immunity from prosecution in Australia on these grounds, but 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 this, according to the submissions, this isn't enough. They say that they could still be prosecuted um, in the US or, or in an EU law, for example, for information provided to Australian authorities under the proposed encryption, encryption laws, and that they say that they need greater legal protection. Crikey. So this sounds like not only is it becoming quite a bitter dispute, but it's becoming increasingly convoluted. Do we know how it's going to end? Uh, no, we don't. I mean, the legislation will have to go through the committee, then it'll have to go through Parliament itself. Um, as you well know, the political background uh, to that is that this weekend there's a by-election that will be held in Sydney. This could leave the government with a very narrow majority in the lower house. Uh, the bill would also have to go through the Senate, which um, where, where the government doesn't have a, a majority. There are minor parties and independents there who have very strong views on privacy issues. So the political context... Uh, is providing uh, a fascinating uh, backdrop to what is a a fascinating conversation about privacy and the rights of consumers. Yeah, that's fascinating. Finally, James, um, moving closer to your antitrust beat this time, um, this week you also covered a speech by the head of Australia's competition watchdog, Rod Sims, in which he seemed to suggest that regulators around the world have been a little slow and perhaps a bit naive to digest the the competitive risk posed by the control of large quantities of data. 
Yeah, look, Sims, um, Sims, who's obviously the chairman of the um, ACCC, the Australian Competition Consumer Commission, was essentially uh, taking a look through the retrospectoscope uh, and, uh, and pondering whether... <laughs> That's my favourite word. Pondering whether it's a powerful uh, thing that it, retrospective a, scope. It is very powerful. Um, given what we know today, some of the deals of years gone by uh, involving companies controlling vast swathes of data. The question is, would they have been allowed to go ahead? Um, and the answer to that not entirely rhetorical question appears to be no, in the sense that he gave the example of Facebook's acquisition of Instagram in 2012. At the time, the regulators uh, didn't lose too much sleep over it. But as Sims points out, um, it's now hard to tell whether in the absence of that um, acquisition, Instagram could have developed uh, into a challenger, a major challenger to Facebook, which obviously would have been something that would have been fantastic for competition, given uh, Facebook's dominance of uh, of, of its of its market. He also talked about um, Facebook's assurance in 2015 following the acquisition of WhatsApp uh, that it would have been technically impossible to merge its data with the data of WhatsApp, something that, which, as you mentioned in your introduction, proved to be uh, totally untrue. It prompted the European uh, mm. Commission to fine Facebook, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Sims said that if nothing else, this should be a reminder that uh, that regulators need to take all assurances about the use of data from merging parties with what he describes as healthy scepticism. And I mean, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but is this Sims shooting the breeze or are there are there some tangible regulatory concerns here? I ask because, I mean, as listeners would know, the ACCC is also in the midst of a world first overview of digital platforms and their impact on Australian publishing and journalism. Yeah, well, well that's right. Everything at the moment, I think, in Australia is, in fact, about the digital platforms inquiry. US tech companies are taking this inquiry incredibly seriously. Uh, They're sending out uh, many senior executives to speak to the regulators and to speak to government about about, uh, the platform's inquiry. Uh, And the use of of data as well as the use of algorithms is really part and parcel of of the ACCC's inquiry. Traditional newspaper publishers um, have really been campaigning hard on the issue of how the control of data on the part of digital platforms is, uh, in their view, uh, a serious uh, competitive problem. It is an issue of competition. Uh, So, yes, look, my guess, all of that to say that um, Sims wouldn't just be shooting the breeze on this. He knows that people like uh, you and me are are passing every sentence he utters and pondering their impact on the ongoing platforms inquiry. So my guess is that uh, he was trying to communicate something and he was trying to speak to uh, to people like me and other uh, observers of, uh, of the digital platforms inquiry. Mm. Both the competition side of what we've been talking about today and the data um, control seem to be topics that I think we'll be talking about more and more. Um, but James, um, for now, I think we've, we've run out of time, but it's great to speak with you. Thank you, Laurel. Speak to you soon. Bye. James Paniki is MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor and was speaking to me today from our offices in Melbourne. James's coverage of the conflict between US tech companies and Australian policymakers can be found at the links below where you found this podcast and go by the headlines Apple clashes with Canberra over dangerously ambiguous encryption law overhaul and that story on Rod Sim's speech this week comes under Facebook's WhatsApp data claim should prompt regulatory scepticism, top Australian official says. While you're checking out James's articles, why not take a listen to other podcasts from our MLEX reporters around the world? But from me, Laurel Henning in Sydney and James Paniki in Melbourne, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.